Hello, I'm Dr. Jonathan Barker, pastor here at Amazing Grace Baptist Church in Mount Airy, North Carolina. I would like to personally thank you for taking out time today to tune in to our preaching podcast. We hope that this message will be a great encouragement to your heart today. 1 Peter chapter number 5, and uh, let's start reading in verse number 5. The Bible says, Likewise, ye under submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject to one another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. I like, I like verse number 7, it's my life verse, it says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. And then verse number 8 is where we're going to launch off from this evening. The Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Let me read the verse one more time. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Devour. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing over the reading of His Word. Our Father, in Jesus' name, I thank You for this day, Lord. God, I thank You for the privilege to be in Your house with Your people tonight, God. God, I pray that You would help me, God, that You would touch me, God, physically, and, and, and I pray that You would calm my nerves. Father, God, You know how nervous I am. God, I pray that You know that You're the one that gave this to me, God, and that if it don't make any sense, if it don't help anyone, Father, that You don't have to be the one to do the helping, God. And God, I stand in a place where no man can stand alone. I pray that You give me power and unction, God, from on high that I need to preach, God. God, have me to say what, I, what you want me to say, nothing more and nothing less. And I'll be careful to give you all the praise, honor, and glory, for it's in Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. And amen. You to be seated. Thank you for standing. Now, I begin to pin this down this evening, or this afternoon, sitting in my car on my lunch break, and I had one of those little legal pads, just one of the little ones that I brought out from my desk, and I'd wrote a few notes on it, and I was going to tear the page out of that, out of that legal pad to, um, to, try, to uh, try to have it with me so that I didn't have to bring the whole legal pad. And as you can see, it ripped about halfway down the page, tearing it out. And I thought, found that to be very fitting considering what I'm preaching about tonight. Because with the help of God for a little while tonight, I want to preach on simply the subject of avoiding Satan's snares. Avoiding Satan's snares. And we see in 1 Peter 5, 8, where we see that who better than Peter that would know about the prowling of Satan in his life? After all, several times in the Word of God, Jesus warns Peter that Satan desires to have him. The Bible says, says that Satan desired him, that he may shift him as we. So we see that, we see that who better to, to kind of give us this thought of, of avoiding Satan's snares than old Peter himself. But we see that I believe so many Christians are falling prey to the snares and devices of Satan. And it's because of this, they've let their guard down and they've fallen asleep in the service for God. And they're allowing Satan to run them and ruin their life. And they, and most of them, don't even realize it. So we see that Satan, we see Satan's snares tonight, and we'll look at a few things that we're going to have to do if we're going to avoid the avoid Satan's snares. And y'all pray for me that 
Oh, my nerves will calm down and I'll be able to talk. Amen. But we'll see that, and then the paper ripped, and so I didn't have nothing else to write it down on, so I wrote it on the back of an envelope. What do y'all think about that? That's pretty fancy. I've never been so thankful for the DMV in my life. I, I'm telling you, I never thought I'd say thank God for the DMV, but when I found that envelope, I said it. But we see that there's going to be some things that we're going to have to do if we're going to avoid the snares that the devil has for us, the traps that the devil has set for our lives. I'd say first, the first thing we're going to have to do is don't stray. Don't stray. Look with me, and, and I ain't marked these, so you, I turn with you. But Psalms 119. Look with me back in the Old Testament in Psalms 119. In Psalms 119, what the Bible says. Psalms 119, verse number 67. Now, I probably should have thought this through a little bit more and figured that I would be so nervous that I wouldn't be able to turn the pages. But there it is. Psalms 119 and verse number 67 says this. It says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. So we see the psalmist tells us that before he was afflicted, he went astray. And I, I believe that's a lot of times what, what people happen, so-called or, or even save people, they'll get out of the will of God, and then they'll get in a mess, and they'll be afflicted, and they'll wonder, why in the world am I in this mess? We see that the psalmist said he was afflicted after he went astray. So the first point would be, don't stray away. There's some things we're going to have to not stray away from if we're going to avoid the snares that Satan has set for us. I'd say first, don't stray away from your prayer closet. Don't stray away from your prayer closet. Hey, listen, prayer is the most needed resource in a Christian's life. But so many times we find it to be our most neglected resource. We, hey, listen, as I was telling, telling the lady on Sunday morning, hey, I told, her, I told her, I said, listen, it's easy. It's easy to think, it's easy to pray when, you know, there's no food in the cabinet and you need help and you don't know where this is going to come from, you don't know where that's going to come from. I find it easier to say, Lord, help, because I know that that's where my help come from is Lord. But I find it harder to keep a, 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 an in-tune prayer life when God, when everything else is going right. When I have everything going my way. When everything's going my way, when the bills are paid, and when everything looks good, I find it harder in those times to take the time to say, Lord, thank you for what you've done for me. Because we're too busy enjoying it and not be, spending enough time thanking God for it. So we're going to have to not stray away from our prayer closet if we're going to avoid Satan's snare in our life. Listen, prayer is the very pinnacle of our Christian faith. You say, how do you know that? Because if you got saved tonight, you prayed for salvation. Amen. Without prayer, there is no salvation. You've got to pray and ask the Lord for that gift. But we see that prayer can do anything that God can do. You say, how do you see that? Elijah went and told him that it wasn't going to rain for three and a half years. And through the hand of prayer, Elijah reached up and turned the spigot off. And then in three and a half years later, through the very same hand of prayer, he reached up and turned the spigot back on. Hey, that's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? But we see that we see that Elijah, we see that we see that Elijah prayed 53 words on Mount Carmel and the fire fell from heaven. Hey, listen, prayer is a very powerful resource that we have in our Christian life. There's been times, there's been times when I really didn't have the answers. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if there was anything I could do. So what do we do so many times when we get in that situation? We say, well, all we can do is pray. 
All we can do is pray. If we'd been praying in the first, in the first, it means we probably wouldn't have ended up in the situation we were in. I thought about Psalms 23. Uh, you, I thought about Psalms 23. Look, look at this with me in Psalms 23. You can turn with me if you want to. Psalms 23, I'll show you this. I saw this preaching the other night. The Lord really spoke to my heart about it. Look with me, Psalms 23. Some of the most familiar scripture in the whole Word of God. But if we're not careful, we'll let how familiar it is take away the wonder of the Scripture from us. But look with me. At the beginning of Psalms 23, David is talking about the Lord. He said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But look with me in verse number 4 of Psalms 23. He said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil of this, for thou art with me. So he begins the psalm talking about the Lord, but when he got down the midst of the valley... We see that he then was talking to the Lord. But we see that if he, if he would have began the psalm talking to the Lord, he may have not ended up in the valley to begin with. So we see, listen, listen to me, listen to me. Well, we don't need to neglect our prayer closet in the day and age in which we live. If you don't have one, I suggest that every person has a prayer, a prayer closet. The Bible says it says, enter into your closet. Shut the door. Spend some time along with God. Spend some time along with God. Spend some time, hey, worshiping God. Hey, you know, you thought worship was just for church? Well, you're sadly mistaken. Some of the best times of worship I've ever had is when I'm in that deep prayer state, just me and the Holy Spirit getting along with God. On my altar, just praying and asking God. Sometimes not even asking God. Sometimes just thanking God for what He's done in our life. But we're going to have to not stray away from our prayer closet if we're going to avoid Satan's snares. I thought about this. One author said this, and I agree with it. He said, every time, he said, nothing makes Satan tremble more than a child of God on its knees, calling out for where he knows his help comes from, calling, calling out for God. Uh, I was taught this as a young boy going to church with my grandmother, and she taught me this. She, she said, listen, there's no greater honor you could ever bestow upon somebody than calling their name out in prayer. And how true is that? Hey, listen, I, I, I'm glad that, there's, that I have a personal prayer life, that I can pray and that God will answer those prayers if there's no sin in my life and I'm right with God. But I'm glad to know that there's people, other people praying for me and calling out my name to God. Listen, if we're going to avoid Satan's snares as a person, then we're going to have to not neglect our personal prayer life. But if we're going to avoid Satan's snare as a church, not only we don't have to not, uh, not stray from our prayer closet personally, but we're not going to have to, we're going to have to not stray from our prayer closet as a whole, as a church. One thing that I love about Amazing Grace Baptist Church is, especially before COVID hit and everything, is any time we would have service, the altars would fill up with people calling out to God and getting help. Listen, you don't know how much that is, that is a blessing. You don't know how much you go to churches, and it's been forever since they've used the altar. You go, and I'm telling you to write your name in dust on the altars, because they've, they've forsaken them. They have forsaken their prayer life with God. What did the Bible say? The Bible said that men ought to always pray and not faint. said that they're to always pray and not faint. He said, he, the Bible said, when he was given the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, he said, when thou prayest, not if thou prayest. Meaning that... We should pray. It's not a matter of if you pray, but it's a matter of when, and that's we should pray. So if we're going to avoid Satan's snares, we're going to have to refrain from straying from our prayer closet. But I thought about this. 
If you're going to avoid the snares of Satan, you're going to have to not stray from your personal devotion. Your personal devotion. How true is that? There is a Hebrew word for praise in the Bible. or, Or a Hebrew word for praise, and it's spelled T O W D A H. I've always just heard it pronounced Tauda or something like that. I'm too redneck to try to pronounce it. I, I, I barely speak English, let alone Hebrew. Amen? But we, but we see that there's a Hebrew word for praise, and it simply means this. It means to raise the hand and verbally confess truth in a court of law to silence the accuser. To silence the accuser. Listen, when was the last time the old Satan come crawling up on your back? One of the demons of hell come crawling up on your back, and you didn't know what to do. You was defeated. You was beat down. But how did God, how did Jesus defeat the devil when he was tempted of him? He said, as it is written. As it is written. He used the word of God. If you were at the Winter Youth Jubilee last year, you'll remember this. Brother Jeremy kindly exhorted upon this, but Jesus was as much God as God and as much man as man. And he could have very easily thumped the devil back off into hell if he wanted to. But he didn't do that. Because he was the incarnate word. The Bible says in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word, and all that stuff. And then it goes on in verse number 14 saying, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So he was the incarnate word. He could have thumped the devil back off into hell if Jesus wanted to, but he didn't use the incarnate word. He used the inspired word. He said, As it is written, as it is written, because he knew that we're not the incarnate word. We don't have the power to just thump the devil back off into hell. But we do have a Bible that we can use hey, to, to, uh, to, to quote truth, to silence an accuser in a court of law. Listen, I thought about this. How much truth do you know? Who knows how strong Satan is? We know that he knows our weaknesses. He probably knows more about us than we know about ourselves. But listen, listen, we need to know enough truth that we can combat Satan. That we can combat Satan. I, I, I think about this as a preacher and, and the pastor preached Sunday night out of Psalm 16. And, and, and one thing you'll find, they called him John the Baptist. And, and, and you know, they said, some say thou art John the Baptist. If you'll study John the Baptist in Matthew chapter number 3, you'll find that. And the reason I'm saying all this is because I preach the very same scripture Sunday morning. I love it when the Lord lines things up, don't you? But we see, that, we see that if you study John the Baptist in Matthew num- chapter number 3, he come out of the wilderness preaching repentance. He said, repent ye for the kingdom of hand. And then Jesus hits the scene, and Jesus gets prepared to preach his very first message. And you know what he preaches? The very same thing that John preached. Where he said, repent ye for the kingdom of, uh, of heaven is at hand. So, as a preacher, it's convicting me, I think, is there enough truth in what I'm preaching that Jesus could preach the very same thing that I just preached. And every time I study, every time I prepare to preach, I ask myself, is there enough Bible, is there enough truth in what I'm going to say to back it up that Jesus could preach what I just preached? And it'll, it, a Sunday school teacher, is there enough Bible, enough truth in your Sunday school lesson that Jesus could teach that lesson? It's convicting, but it'll help you in your study life. But we're going to have to not neglect our personal devotion. Listen, the Bible says, you know where to read the Bible, but the Bible, I, I find it, where, not where it says read the Bible, but what does it say? It says, study to sow thyself approved unto God. 
So we see not just to read the Bible, but to study it. To spend time studying it. And it's amazing what you uncover. In, in the Bible is like a is is like a lock. And it's like you you've got you're the key and you're just trying to unlock the truth of what the Bible has to say. And it's like every now and then you'll turn one of them tumblers in that lock and then you can't figure out the next one. And then you'll turn the next tumbler in that lock and then you'll be studying the Lord will say something and he'll just blow your mind. Blow your mind of what the Lord can do if you'll spend the time to study the Bible and look at it and just study it and hide it in your heart. Hide it in your heart. It ought to be hidden in our heart, but it ought to be a fire shut up in our bones. We ought to be wanting to tell it to other people. That's what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah's known as the weeping prophet. He never had a single convert in his entire ministry. But he could have quit. He could have wanted to quit. I find it very interesting that there was another prophet that was prophesying at the very same time as Jeremiah, and that was Ezekiel. Ezekiel was prophesying the very same time as Jeremiah. So I find it interesting that Jeremiah's over here pouring his heart out every week, week after week, day after day, and he's not seeing no results. He, he, he says he doesn't see it. There's not a convert. He's known as the weeping prophet. He's going. He probably feels like quitting. And then Ezekiel's down the road somewhere, and the Lord's giving him great visions. And the Lord's setting him down in the midst of the valley of dry bones and seeing all that take place, seeing all those miracles take place. And God is absolutely pouring it out on Ezekiel. But Jeremiah's just over here being faithful. And I, I believe a lot of that was because there was as a fire shut up in his bones. He knew he couldn't quit. He knew he had to be determined. The Word of God was something that he had to tell. He had to prophesy because it was a fire shut up in his bones that could not be quenched. So we're going to have to not stray from our prayer closet, not stray from our personal devotion. But I like this one. We're going to have to not stray from our church. We're going to have to not stray from our church. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I find it very funny that people that said that they'd be with you to the absolute end, the first little bit of trouble that comes along in church, and you can't find them nowhere. They tuck tail and run. I find that very, I find that kind of comical. People would say, yeah, I'm in it for the long haul. Anything the church needs, I'm there. Yeah, they join the church and they're blazing a trail and they're on fire for God for all of about three months. And they're on fire for God for about three months. And then that three months runs out and you can't, and you can't find them. You can't find them. It's because they strayed away from their faithfulness to the house of God. Listen, I don't care who you are. God did not save you to follow around your favorite evangelist. He did not save you to follow around your favorite singing group. He did not save you to travel all around the country following this preacher and this preacher and visiting this preacher and this preacher. He saved you to get in a good, sound doctrine, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, in, in, my, in my convictions and standards, Baptist church. And that's what He saved you for. He didn't save you to be willy-nilly and jump from this church to that church and this church and that church because... If you can't be faithful over a few things, how do you ever expect to be faithful over many things? You gotta grow where you're planted at. You gotta grow where you're planted at. I think about this, we got a, a few a few uh, a few weeds growing up in our flower beds at the house and 
And, and I thought about that. That weed, as long as, it, as long as it's planted in the ground, it's going to continue to grow where it's at. But the minute you go and you pluck it out of the ground where it's at, it's not going to grow anymore. The reason is it's been uprooted from where it's at. Now, if I was to go over here somewhere and dig a hole and plant it back, then it'd probably start growing again. But if you're bouncing, if you're constantly pulling it from here to here to here to here to here, it's never going to grow. It's the same way with a Christian. If you jump from this church to this church, from this one to this one, from this one to this one, to this belief system, this belief system, to this and that, this and that, you're never going to grow as a Christian. You're never going to grow as a Christian. So you're going to have to not, we're going to have to not stray if we're going to avoid saint snares, not stray from our prayer closet, not stray from our personal devotion, not stray from the church. But I thought about this, not only are we going to have to don't stray, but we, but we're going to have to don't strut. You say, what does that mean? Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. A haughty spirit is as pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. The Bible tells us plainly that pride leads to destruction. That pride leads to destruction. Now, I, I, I'll be the first to say that every single one of us, well, we may not deal with, with, with the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh, but chances are we probably deal with the pride of life. Pride is something that will absolutely destroy your life if it's left undealt with. We don't need to, and, and, and I'll never forget my dad, we never had nothing a whole lot growing up, and my dad's least favorite thing about some of my family members that had this great abundance of stuff is that they did not mind strutting around and throwing it at you. And we absolutely could not stand that. He could not stand a prideful person. Somebody, I'm all for having nice things. If you've got it like that, you've got it like that. But everybody else don't need to know about it. Everybody else don't need to know about it. Hey, it ain't keeping up with the Joneses. You don't, ain't nobody in here with the last name Jones, is it? I didn't even think about that. I hope not. If not, somebody go invite the Joneses to church. Amen. But we see, don't strut around and flaunt around what you got. It says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall. I'm finding more and more there's three types of pride that people are dealing with in this life, more and more. Number one is the pride of face. Look what I've got. Look what I can do. Look at me. Look at me. I can do this. And I'm talented enough to do this. And I've got the money to go here. And I've got the money to buy this and buy that. Hey, listen, that's all fine. Fine and dandy if you're able to do that. But give praise where praise is due. We ought to be thankful for what we've got. Be thankful for it. And one thing that I found is the people that's got the abundance of stuff nine out of ten times, they're the most ungrateful people there are. You find them and they're, and, they're, and, and they're ungrateful for what they've got. They just want more and more and more. And they're greedy and they want more and more and more. So the pride of faith, look, look at me, look at me. But then we see the pride of grace. You say, what's that? That's this my four and no more mentality that we have developed today. Christian people can hurt you quicker than anybody else, it seems like. And church hurt is the worst hurt. Hands down, church hurt is the worst hurt. But I can imagine, and, and my dad is a lost man, I remember us going out to eat and things of that nature, and, and my mom and dad, and we would go out to eat on Sundays, and, and we'd be sitting around, and all the church people would come in. 
and the church people would be so rude and hateful to everybody they come in contact with. So rude and hateful to the people that's trying to serve them at the restaurant. So rude. I, my dad always told me, don't mess with the people who mess with your food. Amen. Amen to that. But we see that, we see that they would be so rude and hateful to everything, to everything that's going around. And they never seemed happy. They never had no joy about their face. And my daddy and my mama would say, what about that should be appealing to me? As lost people, what about that should I want? I'm happier than they are. That's what it seems like. That's why as Christians, we have the duty to be joyful. And we were shown mercy, therefore we ought to show mercy. Hey, we were shown grace, therefore we ought to show grace. One thing that I learned working in the food industry for so long as a teenager is that sometimes that person that's making your food is just having a bad day. They're human beings just like the rest of you. And there'd be sometimes I'd come into work and I didn't want nobody to even talk to me. And I'm the world's worst. I'll go through, I'll go through a drive-thru or something and, and they'll come to take my money or something. They don't say a word. And I'm like, well, hey, how are you doing? Were they not going to say anything bad? Hey, listen, maybe they're having a bad day. We don't know what situation that individual has been through that day. There's some days I just don't feel like being nice. There's some days I just don't feel like being courteous and talking to everybody. There's days like that in our lives. But you know what we do because we're to be a joyful people. We're to show joy. We're to be the light of the world. We're to be the light of the world. So we do. We put on a fake smile for the face, for the whole world. I, I, I thought about this. And when I worked at Chick-fil-A, they got that swinging door that goes back and forth to the kitchen. And I remember there'd be some days I'd come into work and I'd get ready to clock in. I'd stand behind that door and I'd go, and walk out the door. Because sometimes you just have to put on a fake smile for the whole world. But it's all about showing the joy and the love of Christ through your life. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Being a Christian, we're never going to influence everybody else. We're never going to have an influence if we make a, a negative impression. Uh, no one's ever... I, I, I think about this. There's people in this world, one person, probably the most joyous person. Every, in, no, it don't matter where you see them at. Is Brother Allen and Miss Jan. It don't matter where you see them at. They bring their dog to be groomed at the little uh, dog groomers that's right next door to the, to the office where I work at. And, uh, and uh, you'll find this comfortable. They brought them there yesterday. I saw their car pull in from my office window. And I'm sitting there at my desktop on the computer. And from the other side of the wall, I'd hear Miss Jen, How are you doing today? It's so good to see you. Just, I mean, just joyous. Just full of joy. So in the joy of Christ. And listen, that's how we ought to be. That's how we ought to be. I'm not lifting, I'm, I'm not here trying to put them on a pedestal or anything of that nature. But we ought to strive to live a joyful, a, a joyous Christian life. We do have joy. We can have joy in the fact that we have the victory. That we're saved, we're born again on our way to heaven. And we ought to want to take a whole busload of people with us. And we're only going to do that. No one is going to want what you've got if they hate your guts. You'll never have an influence on anybody if they can't stand to look at you. There's been people I've worked with before, and you come in to work, and, and, and they just know exactly what to do at the right time to make you mad. And they will absolutely 
deploy that as soon as you walk in the door. And, and I tell you what, I don't want none that they, have, they would have to offer. You know why? Because they did not bring joy and life to the situation, to the environment. So we see that pride of faith, but then the pride of grace we need to do away with. Uh, but then I, I've, I found this one, and I'll move past this one. I'll just hit it, and I'm not going to say nothing about it. I'll hit it and move past it. But then we find the pride of race in the day and age in which we live. I'm glad he died for all. Somebody say amen. Amen. Died for every single one of us. But there's some things about pride that we need to understand. Pride will blind you. Pride will absolutely blind you. It'll make you think that you're not doing anything wrong. How many of you have ever said, had someone say, well, you ought to apologize to them. You know, I ain't apologizing to them. I ain't done nothing wrong. I know I have. I tell myself I'm not going to look over there. There's been times that already that we did in a little disagreement, me and Kelsey and the Lord, you need to go apologize to her. And I'd say, I ain't apologizing for nothing. I didn't do nothing. But you know what happens? About five or six minutes, I, honey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have been like that. I, I, I'm sorry I snapped at you. And listen, it happens to the best of but pride will blind you. Pride will blind you, but not only will pride blind you, but pride will bind you down. How many of you know someone that is so bound down in their own pride that they may never did their way back out of that hole? It's because they're binded by that pride of life. They're bind up in it. They've allowed it to, to absolutely take over their life. And ultimately, pride will bury you. It will bury you. What did the Bible say? It said, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride will bury you. I think about this, and I'm ashamed of this, but when I first started preaching there at Mining Ridge, when Josh was my pastor, and, and things were going good, the Lord was helping me, and people were starting to call me, didn't me to come preach. And I mean, I was, but, you know, Sunday after Sunday, the Lord was really working in my ministry, was really blessing me. And I got a little big-headed. I thought, this is it. I'm going to be one of them preachers that got their big name on the, on the marquee at the theaters or something else. I said, I'm going to preach Billy Graham rallies. Y'all look out. It's going to be massive. And I remember, I remember Josh come to me one time. He said, look, me and Josh are family, so he can just tell me the way it is. He says, look, you're acting stupid. <laughs> you are acting absolutely stupid. He said, you need to come down a little bit. And I got, I got mad at him, you know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to reach the whole world with the gospel of Christ. Amen. Bless the Lord. But you know what happened? After time, I kept going, I kept going the way I was. And then it changed from Pastor Josh to Parent Josh. Because I was living with him. And it went from him trying to talk to me as a pastor to me sitting down and writing a one-subject notebook full of that verse that says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And it wasn't one of those where you could go down the page and write the P, 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 and then write it in there. Like, no, it was, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And I had to fill that entire notebook up before I could get up. <laughs> luckily, luckily, he didn't make me do the back side of the paper. Just one page at a time. But after that, I calmed down a little bit. It brought me down just a little bit. I know, right? Who would have thought? But 
pride will blind you. Pride will bind you, but pride will ultimately bury you if it's not dealt with. So if we're going to avoid Satan's snares, listen, don't stray, don't strut. But I thought about this, don't stoop. Don't stoop. Romans 12, 21, turn with me there and let's look at what the Bible says. Romans 12, 21 says this. It says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So basically what I'm saying is don't stoop down to their level. Don't stoop down to their level. I thought about this, don't stoop on your standards. Don't stoop on your standards. Listen, that's the way it happens in the day and age which we live, isn't it? They start by giving up just a little bit. They start by, by giving an inch on the way they're dressing. They start by giving an inch on the Bible that they're reading. They start by giving an inch on, on, on the music they listen to. And before you know it, the devils took not just a mile, but the whole thing. And listen, don't stoop in your standards today. Listen, we need Christians that will have a standards and convictions and morals in the day and age which we live. If there was ever a time that we needed Christians not to, not to drop their standards and convictions. It's right now. It's right now. I don't know about the rest of you, but I, would, I, I mean this. I would rather die than conform. I, would, I, I mean it. I mean it. I, I'm glad to be an old-time, independent, fundamental Baptist preacher. Carrying a King James Bible, wearing a necktie, preaching off a wood pulpit. Hey Amen. I got a Bible for every bit of that. Every bit of it. I'm thankful that I have, I'm thankful for the standards the Lord has put in my life. If you don't have standards, you ought to have some. You ought to have some. Young people, you ought to have standards in your life. You ought to say, and, and, and listen, I wish, I, wish I, I, I had someone that would have taught me this, but most of you, your parents brought you to church this evening, meaning you've got pretty good parents that love the Lord, and this is the tour of the church, that love the Lord and want to see you succeed and be all you can be for the cause of Christ. So listen, I wish I had parents that would have taught me that, but listen, you ought to have standards in, in your dating life. You ought to not just go around dating just anybody. You ought to not run around and date this one and this one and this one. And I wouldn't embarrass her for the world, but, but do you know how many people that Kelsey dated before we started dating? How many was it, honey? None. I was her first date. I took her on her very first day. I was the first guy she ever dated. And it's not anything about me or her. It's because the Lord had, she had set a standard in her life that she wasn't just going to run around willy-nilly and date this person and this one and, and do this and this with this person and, and God knows who else. But listen, don't stoop on your standards in the day and age which we live. But I thought about this, don't stoop on your stance. On your stance, of what we stand on. What we stand on. If there's one thing that I, we're finding in the day and age in which we live, people will hand over their rights like that. It's amazing. We have a country full of people that fought, bled, and died for our right to serve our God and to have the rights and freedoms that we do. And they said, hey, can we have your freedoms? And we said, yeah, sure, here you go. That's exactly what happened. They said, hey, 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 oh, this might be temporary, it might not be, but can we just have those freedoms? And we went, sure, there you go. There you go, take them. What a sad day in America. If I'm not mistaken, that's probably what the, I'm pretty sure that's how the American Revolution got started. 
his Britain was oppressing us, and we didn't have no rights. We won't, we were, hey, listen, so you know what we did? We declared our independence from Britain. And listen, I'm not saying we need another American Revolution, so y'all bear with me. But what we need is some Christians that will not back down. That will not wobble on the shaft. That will not back down from their stance on some things. I still think that there's some, there's some things that the Bible is very clear about. I, I, I still believe marriage is between a man and a woman. I still believe that a man ought to look like a man and a woman ought to look like a woman. Amen? Hey, listen. <laughs> we don't need to drop our stance. But we don't need to stoop on our standards, stoop on our stances, stoop on our rights. Because listen, if we drop everything now, that generation that's coming up behind us, what have they got left? What do they have left? Nothing. I told this story preaching on Sunday. I tell you, when I first started preaching, I'll never tell you who it is, so don't ask. If I remembered his name, I'd go to his house after church tonight. <laughs> but I didn't mean that. Maybe. We'll see. But I was preaching, and I'd just been pre started preaching. I'd been preaching about two weeks. I went and preached to this church. And I'm standing back there, and I already felt like I flopped. For y'all that think preachers come out of the pulpit every Sunday thinking, Woo! They'll knock that one out of the ballpark. That's not true. It's not true. Nine out of ten times I feel defeated and more broken down and burdened than I did when I walked to the pulpit. But I'm standing back here and I already feel, felt like I flopped and made a mess of everything and I'm shaking everybody's hands. Man, don't you miss shaking everybody's hands? Man, it's amazing what we take for granted. And this gentleman walks by me, older gentleman. He shakes my hand as he goes out the door, looks at me and goes, you'll get there one day. And kept walking. <laughs> and I thought... <laughs> I didn't know what to say, to be real honest with you. But you know what? I, and after that, I'd care less about preaching anymore. I was already beat down. I was defeated. I went home. I closed my Bible. I said, that's it. <laughs> I ain't doing it no more. This is two weeks in. I, I ain't doing this no more. I, it was fun when it was new and everybody was being nice and patting you on the back, telling you you're doing a good job. But I, I didn't sign up for this. I'm done. I ain't doing it no more. I was living with Josh and Bridget at the time, and I go in, and I sat down in the chair at the house, and just, you know, done with everything. And uh, I guess about that time, Elijah's probably five or six years old. He comes running up, he climbs up in my lap, because me and him's always had a real close relationship. He hugs me, and he goes, that was good preaching tonight. And I realized right then and there that I can't quit, that I can't quit. Because there's a generation coming up behind me. Although you don't think they're listening, although you don't think they're doing nothing but pitching a fit and climbing all over the pew and destroying everything, they probably are. But I'm telling you, it's better for them to be in church and do that than to, than to grow up one day and go out in the world. Hey, listen, <laughs> we, need, we need to not stoop on our stance because there's a generation coming up behind us that's looking to us to pave the way for them. I, I know we think about, about the older generation of preachers that's getting older, that, that you know that if the Lord don't come back, he's going to pass from the scene one day. And I don't even like to think about it, but, what, but there's going to come a day if the Lord don't come back that I'm going to get older. That's going to happen. And I'm going to get older. And my generation is going to pass away. 
Who's left after that that's going to be able to preach the gospel and keep sound doctrine in line for my children and for my great-grandchildren? If we drop everything now, there will be nothing left. So if we're going to avoid Satan's snares, we need to not stray, don't strut, don't stoop. I'll give you this when I'm done, but don't stop. Don't stop. Turn with me to Matthew chapter number 10. Matthew chapter number 10. And I find this verse to be one of the most encouraging verses in the entire Word of God. Matthew chapter number 10 and verse number 22. The Bible says this. And the Bible says, and ye, shall ha- and, y'all, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. He that endureth to the end. So we don't have to have some endurance in this thing of serving God. Serving God's not for sissies. It's not, it's not for the faint of heart. Church people hurt you quicker than anything. Church hurt is the worst hurt. And people that you thought were your best friends that you served God with will be the first ones to stab you in the back sometimes. It's not for the faint of heart. But the Bible says that we are to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So the Bible says. And it says, any, and then it goes on to say in the next one, I fought a good fight, I've kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give to me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all, all them that also love his appearing. So we see that don't stop. Because although it may seem hard, and it may seem like the world is caving in right now, and everything has been flipped upside down on its head, you and God are still a majority in every situation. And listen, the devil may have some power, but he don't have all power. And as long as God has all power, the devil will never have all power. I think one of the most encouraging parts of the book of Job is this. That the devil had to ask permission before he could mess with Job. That the devil had to ask permission. Uh, the preacher preached it like this one time at Charity Hill. I don't know if y'all were there in, in, in revival meeting there. He said, but... God had drew a line and said, that's as far as the devil could go. Listen, if you're saved and born again, the devil can only do so much. The devil can only do so much without God's permission. So why are you walking around letting him defeat you and beat you down all the time? If we've already won the victory, if we're saved and born again, why are we walking around defeated with our heads hung low all the time? No, for the child of God, it's time to keep our heads held high and press towards the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. It's time to press forward and do something. As the preacher preached a couple Sunday mornings ago so well, but it is time to move on. It is time to move on. We can sit around and bellyache all we want, but it's not going to change anything. It's not going to change anything. But it's time to move forward and do a work for God. It do what we can do for a work of God. Say, well, there's so much I can't do and so much I can't do. And we'll focus on what we can't do that we'll forget that there's still things we can do. Still things we can do to reach a lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thought about this. One thing, one word of encouragement to give you, one couple verses of encouragement to give you to take with you this week. Turn with me to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8 says this. Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 37. 
down through verse number 39 says this. It says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our Lord. Listen, I don't know about you, that's a bunch of stuff. Let's read it again. He said, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height or depth, nor any other creatures shall be able to separate us from the love of God. You know what I believe the Lord was trying to say when He inspired Paul to write that Scripture? It's this. I believe it was this. Can't nothing separate you from the love of God. Can't nothing separate you from the love of God. If you're saved and born again, saved by the grace of God, can't nothing separate you from the love of God. You can break fellowship with God if you go out and begin willfully sinning. You can break fellowship with God. But He still don't love you. He still don't love you and He still don't care about you. And He'll, and he'll let you come back if you ask Him for it. He'll take care of you. Can't nothing separate us from the love of God. Can't nothing separate us from the love of God. I thought about this. Miss Tane, if you will, come start playing softly this evening. I thought about this. Satan has set a serious snare in our country in the past, the past couple months. I guess six months since the first confirmed case. And I thought about that, and the world for absolutely six months has been, in high, is, is been a wreck been a wreck. Everything's been turned upside down on its head. It's been an absolute mess. But I don't know if you know this or not, but we're sitting inside church again on Wednesday night. The other half of the church, there have been a lot more than this. The other half of them, I hope, is in Sparta tonight, back in our man of God. So he's probably about on point number two right now, red face with a line of slobber about this long coming out of his mouth. We're still blessed. What the devil meant for bad, God meant for good. Because I believe, I hate to see people not come back to church and people get comfortable being at church and they need to get right and get back in the house of God. But God sure does have a way of weeding them out, don't He? He has a way of pruning the tree. You know why you prune the tree? So it can grow. So it can grow. And God, God, in those what seemed like an eternity, those six months, He'd done a little bit of pruning. He did. But just a couple Sunday mornings ago, we had three join the church. So although there may have been some pruning, and I bet if that tree that you pruned could talk, it'd say, Ow, that hurt. Ow, why are you doing this? That hurt. But I believe everything is a little bit better when it started to see that new growth. So I'll encourage you to do this. Keep on keeping on. I didn't I didn't come with you know with a deep theological thought tonight, with a deep lesson for you tonight. 
I come to just tell you to keep on keeping on. Satan's going to fight. Satan's going to fight. He's not going to rest. He's not going to rest. But Revelation 12 told us that he's come down having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. He knoweth that he hath but a short time. And just because the devil never rests, we need to remember that God never rests either. And that God is working in the midst of all of this.